lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. It is election eve here on the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace alongside Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin. Gentlemen, are you ready to go? Buckle oh, up. Can you feel it? Yep. There's been a lot. How many times have we pondered our lint in the navel over the course of the last year plus? And we're finally on the brink of the big day. 888-900-3393 is the number here at The Blaze. By the way, I'm going to be on location after today, heading down to Dallas to be a part of the Blaze TV election night coverage. So I will be down in Dallas. You two will be up here. We'll try to keep things as normal as we possibly can. Uh, Just... I'll be at a different site, as we did with the first presidential debate. Ton of election coverage on our show and also on Blaze TV. Make sure you take advantage of that biggest discount ever with the promo code STEVE at blazetv.com. $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. Promo code STEVE at blazetv.com. Don't miss anything we have lined up for you on election night, including yours truly. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. A big day for you followers on Parlor, by the way. You are this week's Monday Town Hall. We're turning it over to you next hour for an election eve. Ask me anything on the 2020 election. Todd has combed through the questions and we'll be going through the agenda that Parlor has set for us coming up in the next hour of the show. Also, uh, don't forget to check out our new YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Steve Dace and check out my brand new book. It is releasing on December the 15th. It's the novella sequel to a nefarious plot, A Nefarious Carol, releasing December 15th. You can pre-order your copy over at amazon.com right now and learn more about the book as well. Uh, A Nefarious Carol dropping on December the 15th. Of course, we have gone through a very divisive election and a lot of concerns about how divisive it could be depending on the result moving forward. That's why whenever we have an opportunity to align with people who share our values, particularly in the corporate sector, because those areas and opportunities are running out, take full advantage of them. And one of the areas where we have that opportunity is with Patriot Mobile. They're America's only conservative veteran-led mobile phone company. Uh, In fact, veterans and first responders, you get even a bigger discount for your service to the country. They don't charge you hidden fees, and they don't then take the profits that you give to them and donate them to culture-killing organizations like Planned Parenthood. They reinvest it back in the causes that you believe in, and you'll get the same nationwide coverage you can get from everybody else and switching is easy keep your phone number you can bring your own phone buy a new one and right now when you join their family of freedom loving americans get a free activation plus a free gift when you use the offer code steve at 972 patriot that's 972 patriot promo code steve or use the promo code steve at patriotmobile.com slash steve so We're going to do something a little bit different to open up the show today. Typically, this is when I would toss it to Aaron for what happened while we were away. Instead, I'm going to toss it to myself for what may happen 
24 hours from now. All right. I spent a good portion. I just got up early, bright and early this morning, like 5 a.m. I'm still not adjusted to pushing the clocks back because I'm typically typically up at six. So I had some extra time and I spent a good deal of it combing through early voting data across the country. And I want to walk you through what I found in all of the key states comparing 2016 versus 2020. And and I want to let you know that the model I used here, I've been known throughout my career, a lot of times when I do analysis, I use the opposition's data and research. Why? So that I can begin with the worst, most realistic scenario and work my way down or up, depending on your perspective from there. I like to know what the worst case scenario realistically is. I'm not a sunshine pumper. You may have noticed that about me. If you tune into the show for more than 10 minutes, then I want to start with, I can't fix a problem. I, I can't even know what a problem is unless I know what the real information is. So the early voting model numbers you're about to see, I actually took from a democratic polling firm called Project Target Smart. And you can find them online and look at some of their data for yourself. These are their Democratic early voting models for early, for early voting across the country. Keep in mind also we had to use some model because not every state releases partisan early voting data anymore. For example, Iowa doesn't do that. You can't vote straight party line in Iowa any longer. So then we had to go with somebody's model, somebody's assumptions. Why not use theirs? That way we know going in, Nobody's blowing smoke up our keisters, right? Let, let's start with the enemy's assumptions and work our way down or up from there. Let's walk through this state by state. All the key battleground states, at least the states that are battleground states that are key to Trump getting to 270 in the Electoral College. All right, let's start with Arizona. We're going to do these alphabetically. Project Target Smart says... That right now, it's GOP plus 0.6 in the early voting. It was GOP plus 7.1 in 2016. But look at the turnout difference. Over 700,000 more people have voted early in Arizona. That's 92% of the electorate in Arizona. In 2016, Trump won the state by 3.5. Let's go next to Colorado. All right. Democrats won the early voting in Colorado, according to Target Smart, plus five, but they won it four years ago, 7.7. Turnout is also 700,000 more people have voted early in Colorado than they did four years ago. And it's already reached 90% of the total electorate it had in the state in 2016 when Hillary Clinton won by 4.9 points. In Florida, now this has been the state with one exception that has been on the side of the presidential winner, I want to say, every election since 1976. In 2020, the GOP won the early voting in Florida, according to Target Smart, by 0.8. In 2016, Democrats won the early voting in Florida by 5.4. The turnout in Florida for early voting is up to almost 1.7 million more people have voted early than did four years ago. And the early voting in Florida has already reached 86% of the 2016 electorate. That's a state that Trump won by 1.2 points in 2016. 
essentially Target Smart is telling you that Donald Trump has already won the state of Florida. The Democratic polling firm is projecting, based on those numbers, that Donald Trump has already won the state of Florida. Let's go to our next state, Georgia. All right, early voting for the GOP is plus 6.9. In 2016, the GOP won it by 10.5. But look at the turnout difference. More than 1.4 million more people have voted early in Georgia compared to four years ago. They've already reached 93% of the electorate in Georgia. And Trump is leading there at 5.1 points. Let me translate what this means. The Democrats have a hill to climb in Georgia. I wouldn't say it looks as optimistic there as Florida does for Donald Trump, but there is a hill to climb there for the Democrats in Georgia. Back to Arizona. Can we go back to Arizona for just one second? I want to make one quick point before we move on to the next state. The Arizona numbers are also very good for Donald Trump. Those are also good Arizona numbers based on the total amount of turnout that's already there in the state. That he is ahead with 92% of the 2016 electorate's votes in, at least by party registrations. Now, there's going to be a caveat here, and we'll get to that here at the end. All right? All right, let's, let's skip. Sorry about that, Aaron. Didn't mean to do that to you. Let's skip now we, from Georgia. Let's go to Iowa. In the early voting in Iowa, Democrats won it in 2020 by 4.3 points. That's up a point from where they were in 2016, but the turnout is over 320,000 more people have voted early in Iowa compared to four years ago. We're up to about 58% of our 2016 electorate, and Trump won this state by 9.4 points in 2016. What this is basically telling you is Donald Trump is going to win Iowa again. That basically is what it's telling you. That the Democrats don't have a big enough lead to overcome what's going to happen on game day. Next state. Let's look at Michigan. Now, the early voting in Michigan, the Democrats are actually 1.4 points ahead of where they were four years ago. But look at the turnout. One point, more than 1.7 million more people have already voted early than did in 2016. 60% of the, of, the, of the electorate of 2016 is already in in Michigan, a state that Donald Trump won by 0.3 points. If I'm, Dem- if I'm a Democrat, I am nervous about those numbers. Given how high that turnout is already, did I bank a large enough lead for what's going to happen on Election Day? Next, let's look at Minnesota. I'm really afraid if I'm a Democrat looking at these numbers. We won the early voting by 0.4 more than we won it in 2016. But look again at how many more people have voted. Almost 1.1 million people have already voted. 52% of the electorate. And this is a state that Hillary Clinton only won by 1.5 points four years ago. If I'm a Democrat in Minnesota this morning, I'm asking myself, did we bank enough of a lead given that turnout? Because Democrats always vote early more often than Republicans. Now, this year with the pandemic, you're going to see the largest amount of Republicans voting early than ever before. But you have to ask yourself, how many Democrats are leaving their homes across the country to come out and vote on Election Day? If I'm a Democrat, I am concerned about those numbers in Minnesota. The next state we're going to look at, and I think this is a, this is a state that I think could swing either way. That's North Carolina. Right now, you can see that the Dem early voting lead has plummeted from where it was. 
four years ago. They, they won the early voting in the state by 10 points, and Trump won it by 3.6 points. It's down to just one point this time, but look at the turnout. All right, already 1.2 million people have voted in that state, 90% of its 2016 electorate in North Carolina. It's a state of Karens, by the way. It, it's, it's a largely suburban state now. It's increasingly suburban. It's far more suburban than are the Rust Belt states. If I'm a Democrat, I might actually feel better about where I'm at in North Carolina this morning, the day before, than I do in Minnesota and Michigan, looking at those numbers. Let's continue on. Here's, here's a state that I'm also concerned about if I'm a Democrat, Nevada. Early voting, Democrats won this state by 11.7 points. They have won it by only 0.1. 0.1. And look at the difference in turnout. 335,000 more people have voted early in Nevada. They're already at 98% of their 2016 electorate. And Hillary Clinton only won this state by 2.4 points. I am concerned about Nevada if I am a Democrat here the day before. In fact, I'm concerned about a, a narrative that is, that is emerging. And I'll get to that here at the end. There's a narrative emerging here that is important to note if you want Donald Trump to win tomorrow. Let's move on. How about Ohio? What these numbers tell you is Donald Trump has already won this state. You can see, look at the turnaround difference. Democrats won the early voting in that state by 7.8 points four years ago. They have lost it by over six points this time. And 1.4 million people have already voted, 57% of the electorate, which means... There's a, there are a lot of potential Trump voters that have not voted in that state yet. Trump won it by 8.1 points. According to Project Target Smart, a Democratic polling firm, you put Ohio and Florida together, Donald Trump has basically won those states. No Republican has ever won Ohio and Florida and not won the presidency. In fact, the list of people that have lost Ohio and Florida and won the presidency in the modern era is small. It's happened a few times on the other side, but it's never happened in the Republican Party. We continue on. Pennsylvania. Now, this state, folks, some lawyers are going to make some bank in this state. So the GOP won the early voting in Pennsylvania by 8.1 points four years ago. Right now, Project Target Smart says Democrats are ahead by 32.3 points. But before you freak out, look at the turnout model. They are projecting about 2.14 million people more have voted early in Pennsylvania compared to four years ago. If that is accurate, that's more than 10 times more early voters in 2016 or than or more, more early voters than in 2016. It's the number is actually like 11.7 times or something like that. That is an astronomical amount of people. But get this. It's also only 40% of the electorate in Pennsylvania. A state that Donald Trump won by 0.7 points four years ago. What does that all mean? Florida 2000. That's what it means. That, I was told by a little birdie right before I came on the air today that Biden's internals have him up four. Trump's internals have, have Biden up two in Pennsylvania, but winning on election day. Given who the governor is, I've been, I've been sounding the alarm on this for about a week now. Pennsylvania could be a quagmire, looking at those numbers. We continue on. Texas. GOP won the early voting in Texas by 9.6 points four years ago. 
According to Target Smart, they won it this year by 10.1 points with a turnout of nearly 4 million more early voters than four years ago. Get this, Texas has already recorded 106% of its 2016 total turnout. Donald Trump won the state by nine in 2016. This essentially says he's already won Texas, according to Target Smart, if these models are correct. Let's go to Virginia. Why did I include it? Because it used to be a battleground state. And they've had a ridiculous lockdown there. So I was just kind of curious. It was just a battleground state just a few years ago. Well, you can see there has been a substantial decline in the amount of uh, the the margin of victory in the early voting for Democrats in that state. They won it by 14.4 points four years ago when Hillary won by 5.4. They only won it by 8.8 points this time. Just about 2 million people have voted already in Virginia. That's 66% of the 2016 electorate. Now, I don't think there's much of a chance Donald Trump is going to win that state, but I bet you if they had known those numbers a week or two ago, they might have done a rally there. That's, that, that's the other reason I wanted to look for it, is I'm, as I'm trying to do a control group here. I'm trying to see, okay, give me a battleground, like we did a battleground state that tilts right, that, that's not really a battleground state, Texas. Maybe Georgia's a better example. Now let's do a battleground state that tilts left that isn't really a battleground state. And you can see the energy on the ground early for Democrats in Virginia is behind where they probably need to be if this is going to be a blowout for them nationwide. That should be a state where they're just dominating. And they're not. They're winning solidly, but they're not dominating. One more state, I believe. That is correct. Let's look at Wisconsin. Look at this now. Democrats won the early voting in the state by 9.2 points four years ago. When Donald Trump won the state by 0.7, they're only leading the early voting in that state by 1.2 points, even though... Almost 1.1 million more people have voted early than they did four years ago. And it's only 61% of the electorate. If I am a Democrat, I am worried. I'm hoping Project Target Smart is bad at this. I'm worried about that state if I'm a Democrat. So let's draw some conclusions from these numbers, shall we? We're going to have a higher turnout than 2016. Texas is already at 106%. You look at Pennsylvania, the higher, the, the huge amount, 10 times more early voters than four years ago, and it's only 40% of their electorate. We're going to have more people vote than we did in 2016. Every state doesn't provide partisan makeup of early voters. So that's why we had to rely on a model, and we are going to rely on the opposition's model in Target Smart to avoid our own bias. This is their modeling, their data. Not our, this is not from our side. This is from them. And it's very clear. You go to their website at Target Smart. It's very clear. These are Democrats. This is their modeling, not ours. GOP voters always are more likely to vote in person. And I think that's going to be especially true in a pandemic year. Democrats, I've heard from GOP canvassers across the country that they have been amazed to see how little Democratic canvassing they're seeing in suburbs and battleground districts and precincts because they've just... They're scared to come out. They told their people to stay home and not come out. Maybe they ended up suppressing their own voters. I guess we will find out tomorrow, maybe, if we're lucky, uh, and not like a month from now. But here's the other side of the coin. How much of the GOP early vote surge was cannibalizing those who would have voted for the GOP on Election Day anyway? Clearly, the answer is some. 
All right. The Democrats are notorious for cannibalizing their own vote with early voting. It hasn't been since Obama's first race in 2008 that early voting indicated that they were growing their base. Since 2012, it's largely been people that were going to vote Democrat anyway. Clearly, this time, with the massive surge in GOP early voting, they're cannibalizing some of their vote that would have voted on Election Day. The question is, is, it, is there enough of their electorate out there to win, on, to win enough on game day? The opposite question of Democrats. Have they banked enough of a lead to lose on game day? Because they're going to lose on game day. Do they have enough of a lead? Republicans are going to win on game day. Did they cannibalize too much of their own vote to win on game day? That's the question that they're asking themselves right now. And the next point to make, and I think this is the narrative I was that I was hinting at earlier. What you can see here is that Donald Trump has a path to get to 270 without Pennsylvania. And we probably would not have said that 48 or 72 hours ago. But there is a path for him to get to 270 without Pennsylvania, and I think that is key because I think they're playing whack-a-mole in Pennsylvania as we speak right now. The other thing I did not list there for Aaron is this is a very favorable model to Donald Trump getting reelected with one caveat. He cannot hemorrhage independent voters, meaning he can't lose them in these battleground states by, by more than four or five points. At the very least, Democrats are not turning out, according to this model, they're not turning out at the rate that they were hyped and, and, and we were sold, frankly, by their media for most of this year. At the very least, that is true, based on this model. So, based on my own research and this model, which is included in that research, here is my final electoral college map for 2020. I don't know what the hell's going to happen in Pennsylvania. I don't. I think it's Florida 2000. I think Donald Trump is nearly going to sweep the Rust Belt or completely sweep it. And I think he's going to win Nevada based on these numbers. Frankly, I think there's, there's, there's a better chance at this point Democrats are going to win North Carolina than recover strongly in the Rust Belt looking at these numbers. I have Donald Trump at 300 electoral college votes even without Pennsylvania being under consideration, according to what I am seeing in the early voting and the trends around the country. Now let's look at the Senate map. I think on election day, Republicans end up 52 to 48. Now I could flip some things around here. For example, I, I could see in North Carolina, the Democrats taking that seat. Tom Tillis is a weak candidate. Maybe Trump doesn't, and they have a strong gubernatorial candidate. Maybe Trump doesn't run as strong there to carry Tom Tillis across the finish line. On the other hand, maybe he runs strong enough to carry Martha McSally across the finish line in Arizona, who's, who's every bit as weak of a candidate as Tom Tillis. I think that John James, the Senate candidate in Michigan, may actually help Trump by a point or two, the other way around in that state. So I think there's several of these states that are really close. I think worst case scenario is that the Republicans are 50-50 in the Senate on election day, based on what I'm seeing in those trends. Gentlemen, your thoughts on this data? Uh, well, I think I f filled out my map, I think on Saturday, to just get it out of the way. It, but you and I have an almost identical map 
and that's before I heard uh, everything you just said. That that's the f- Steve did not give that to me at least before that. So this is the first I've seen. Uh, the only thing that you and I are different on is uh, we flip flopped Nevada and Colorado, and I claimed uh, Pennsylvania as a Republican. Uh, victory but other than that i think this is the most important point and the point you made about the path to winning without pennsylvania i have republicans winning michigan wisconsin and minnesota if i'm a democrat i am concerned about those early voting numbers i i'm i needed to probably i the and the only reason the only reason i'm not really confident is you have democratic governors in all of those states and i and chicanery you know what i'm saying okay at some point you just you got to move on and make your call i mean who knows? i did move on and make my call and put them red but if if you if you had republican governors in those states or even if you had a different election cycle where the kinds of things we the lies we have seen with covid you know it's amazing i listened to the funeral i'm sorry uh a post game show for michigan football on the michigan football network saturday uh, they were presiding over the death of a program and a commercial comes on and it's to, it, it's a commercial by Michigan Democrats to vote for their state Supreme Court candidates because Republican Supreme Court candidates in Michigan want to stop Gretchen Whitmer from shutting the state down again. They are openly running on this, just openly running on this. And I was amazed that they're openly running on this. And I said all along I wanted to see what was trending in the final day. Yeah. What's trending in the final day? Look at Trump's rallies. Uh, the, Joe Biden, national mask mandate. Let's shut the country down. Uh, they're, actually, they're running openly on that messaging. The economy is rebounding. The The news cycle right now is is the kind of news cycle that if you're Donald Trump, this is the news cycle you wanted. I, I want I want I want Anthony Fauci now whining about me to to enemy media. Yes, because that reinforces my narrative that I am the reopen candidate, back to normal candidate. I I kept telling you all this year he's got to get away from this narrative. He can't win on a Karen vote. If Karens are win, or Karens are shaping the electorate, he cannot win. He can win if it's about let's get our lives back, but he cannot win if it's about how dangerous is something that's really not that dangerous. He can't win. Going to war with Fauci late, I think that's actually good for him because it puts him in the corner where I there's clearly a choice. If you want to lock down, vote for him. If you want your life back, vote for me. Donald Trump does well when there's a clear yes. start call and he doesn't have to figure out how to navigate nuance, but it's just a yeah. very simple yes, no ask. And not to that's mention, where he does well. To me, Fauci doing this, I predicted it, but it's a sign of desperation. Is it not? I mean, this I, is not. At the very least, it's a sign of I'm desperate for relevancy, if not desperate about what's going to happen on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I agree. Aaron, what are your thoughts? So I, I would have put. So I, the way I see things, I see Pennsylvania as a distinct thing, as a distinct unit. I see Michigan as a distinct unit. And then I see the pair of Minnesota and Wisconsin as very, very similar. So without um, both Michigan and Pennsylvania, Donald Trump was going to need to win both, both Minnesota and Wisconsin, at least in my map, because I've got him winning North Carolina and Nevada, both Minnesota and Wisconsin in order to have a shot at winning 270 uh, electoral college votes. Uh, Seeing these numbers now, I would have put those odds, like parlaying both winning Minnesota and Wisconsin, I would have put those odds at maybe 10 to 12 to 1 last week. Seeing these numbers now, 
I'm putting it more at maybe in the range of three or four to one that he could do both. So that's one path right there, assuming he wins Nevada and North Carolina. The other path is if he just picks off Michigan. Now, say what you want to about the uh, Trafalgar group uh, polling. They have pretty consistently had Trump up in Michigan uh, the last few weeks. So even tossing out Minnesota or Wisconsin or maybe even picking one of those off with Michigan as well, that's another path. And then, of course, as you said, Pennsylvania is if, if he wins Pennsylvania, he wins the, the election. There's no there's no ifs, ands or buts. You have Nate Silver saying that now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> there are more than two, more than a couple of paths now going through this data for Trump to win the election. That should be very, very encouraging if you want Donald Trump to win, because before it seemed like everything was going through Pennsylvania. Everything was yes. going through Pennsylvania, yep. and you don't want to put all your eggs in a basket. To have more options available to you, that's a very good thing, but it cannot be understated, or overstated, I should say. Seeing things like the Pennsylvania Attorney General coming out and saying, yeah, uh, if, if, if we counted all the votes up right now, Trump would win, uh, essentially calling the shot, <laughs> calling his shot, the Attorney General of Pennsylvania calling his shot. That's going to be emblematic, I believe, unfortunately, across a lot of these Rust Belt states. I hope, I hope Trump can win with a margin that makes it increasingly difficult for Democrat-controlled states to do that. We'll come back. Bob Vanderplatz is doing Get Out the Vote Around the Country. We'll get his take on these numbers and what he is seeing right now when we return. So maybe you've noticed your hair is just not looking as full as it used to. Yeah, I know. Losing your hair is no fun, but you do have options. For example, you can go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment prescription, then visit the pharmacy. Try not to go broke as you're trying not to go bald. Or you can try Keeps from the comfort of your own home and get the same doctor-recommended, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but the generic versions offered by Keeps. You'll get those for about half the cost. And one more thing you can love about Keeps is that convenience. You answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor reviews your info and recommends the right hair loss treatment for you. And it's all done from your home, and then it's shipped directly to your door. So what other incentive do you need to give it a shot? How about even more, more of a savings? 50% off your first order at Keeps.com slash grow. K-E-E-P-S keeps.com slash grow get the generic versions for half the cost the most convenient you could possibly ask for and then a big discount on your first order as well to get you started at keeps.com slash grow all right we ran over a lot of data from early voting models from target smart a democrat party polling firm but also my own map of where i think things are headed based on the data and things that i'm looking at I gave you some of my own conclusions, and we discussed those. But let's get to a guy that has been working the ground with a get-out-the-vote effort here for the last few days. Bob Vanderplatz here from The Family Leader. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Doing really well. The day before election, didn't think it'd ever come. Here we are. Here we are. So, what do you think? I think it's going to be an interesting night. And I'm one of those who I believe we're going we're to know tomorrow night, or we're going to have a real good pulse tomorrow night on who won, who lost. Uh, we just had a team meeting. Uh, obviously, I think they're fairly optimistic that some things are going to hopefully turn out what I'd call our way. You know, we want the church to mobilize. We want the church to be the timeless voice to a culture. Uh, we think there's great numbers there. 
But when I say about knowing early tomorrow night, I think uh, Florida, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, uh, if Trump sweeps those three, I think he it's game on, legit shot to win the presidency. If he loses one of those three, I think it's going to be an uphill battle. I, I have a hard time believing he's going to get the presidency if he loses one of those three. Now, we're going to know those three fairly early. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I understand. Well, I think we're all in that category. We yeah, don't know. Yeah, but. I, I, what I see looking at the early voting is there, there, there's two only two narratives here, and they're not reconcilable. I, to me, it's sure. one or the other. Either you're seeing um, a huge wave of new voters. I mean, you look at Texas is at 106 percent of its turnout in 2016 with early voting. And we haven't gotten to election day yet. Right. Okay. You're seeing, uh, you know, I think Arizona's at 90%. Some of these other states are. Haven't gotten to election day yet. So either we're seeing a huge amount of new voters coming out here to vote for Donald Trump, to stick it to the system, to send a message to 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 the swamp, whatever you want to call it. Or you're seeing a mass of new voters show up in order to issue a historic repudiation of really the first, I would say, outsider presidency, meaning somebody outside the traditional political establishment of both parties, even if they weren't the establishment candidate, but they came through the traditional means, probably since Eisenhower. Sure. From, it went from general to the presidency, right? Yeah. It, to me, it's, it's one of those two. I, I, I don't think you can, write, you can come up with, we're going to have some kind of murky result given those numbers, because we're... we're we're seeing a, a, a level of turnout. Now, I was looking at, I think Texas has only gone over 72% turnout once in its history as a state. It may go higher than that, possibly, yeah. looking at some of these numbers. I, I think North Carolina could go over 70% turnout in its state, looking at those numbers, which I don't think that's ever happened before. So I think, it, I think it's one or the other. But what are your thoughts? Well, I think you're exactly right. And the other thing about Trump, not only is he an outside candidate, he's an outside president, meaning he's kind of redefined what it can, what it means to be the president today. I Meaning, he's gone completely against politics as usual. It's one thing to be an outside candidate and you win the governorship or you win the presidency, whatever it is, but then you lead as an outsider. So even though he's president, he's still running against the system. Uh, and Steve, I, I think you're right. I think it's either going to be we're, we're in with him and we're coming out of the woodwork and all these flags you see in the boat parades and the car parades, we're all in for Trump. And we're bringing our neighbors with us. Or there really is a suburban mom mentality of, you know, I'm showing up in record numbers to say that he will not be our president four years from now. Or, or the next four years. The thing that I noted about, and, and Iowa, our home state, uh, uh, just read that our Secretary of State believes that we could be north of 75% turnout in the state of Iowa. Guys, those are huge numbers. Like, who's who's driving those people to the polls? And so when Ann Seltzer, and we have a little bit of a history with Ann Seltzer, mm-hmm. one is in my primary, she missed it by 21 points. Yes, and then she called me afterwards and say, how did I, and she asked me, I'm trying to figure out how I missed this by 21 points. Yeah. And I asked her, I mean, are you, can, have you looked at your response rate with white evangelicals? Are, are they responding you to your polling or because you're identifying, she was with the register at the time, right. or because you're identifying yourself as the Des Moines register, are they just hanging up the phone right away? 
Well, ever since, now, I don't, who knows what role my conversation with her played in that process, but she's the one that called me. Sure. Um, but ever since then, she's been pretty cash she's money, been pretty, homie. Well, the, well the, she's rated A+. Plus. Now, I will remind you, the Iowa caucuses, she missed by nine points. And she missed it by nine. She had Trump winning by five, Cruz won by four. Mm-hmm. The reason she missed it, though, is the same reason you told her in my race. You missed the evangelical turnout. Okay? You know, the, the, specifically, what your organization was doing to turn out first-time churchgoers exactly. at the caucuses. That, and, unless you know about that yeah. and you know who to call, that's not going to show up in any kind of voter file. If and, you're and that's why like I told our, our donors and grassroots base yesterday is that uh, we're doing this in 12 states. And the pollsters are not going to pick up on this. Uh, historically, they have not picked up on this. But she's also a pollster who likes to determine the trend line. Where's the trend going? So if all these voters are turning out, where are they going? And that's when she's got Trump now up by seven in Iowa. She's got Joni winning by four when Joni was losing by three. That's a seven-point swing. Uh, Trump was tied. He's now ahead by seven. If she's on to something, either she's going to be seriously wrong election night or she's going to go, see, I was on to something. And Iowa could be a, you know, kind of almost a prototype of what's happening in other states. And if that's the case, you know, you might see a Trump win re-election and the Republicans hold the U.S. Senate. The early voting models that I showed you from the Democratic polling firm. If if I'm a Democrat, I am very concerned about those Rust Belt numbers mm-hmm. in every one of those states. Now, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, to me, I think you have to take Pennsylvania off the board. The turnout models there are so over the top from where it's been in the past. The governor there is insane. Yep. His, his cabinet's insane. I... I, I to me, I, I think that's Florida 2000, and you, that's like a bowl yeah. game. The it's like a separate General, season. The attorney general's yeah. insane. I've seen him interviewed as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think you have to just take that off the plate for a minute and look at that. Probably deserves like its own political science class. Mm-hmm. But let's look at the rest of that Rust Belt. You look at those numbers in Minnesota and in Wisconsin and in Michigan. I'm I am concerned if I'm a Democrat that I could lose every single one of those states potentially. Of, of course you're concerned. As a matter of fact, I'm getting some anecdotal data. Okay, I've got good friends in Minnesota, and I've got friends who have good friends in Michigan. Okay, both of them said uh, Minnesota's going Trump, Michigan's going Trump, and these are people I trust. These people just aren't like this is my emotion, but they're saying they believe. Now I'm telling them, hey, the data doesn't support that, but what they're telling me is that on the ground, this is what they're seeing. This think, early voting data yeah. I just shared certainly supports that. that and, that's for sure. And so if that happens, all of a sudden you're right. All of a sudden, if he starts running, uh, winning in the Rust Belt territory, if Minnesota does go Trump, Wisconsin, Michigan goes Trump, Ohio goes Trump, uh, there's all of a sudden he's opened up a lot of different pathways to the I, presidency. That was my big takeaway looking hard at the early voting data this morning is there was there's more there's a path for Donald Trump to get to 270 aside from Pennsylvania. And I don't think any of us would have said that, say, 72 hours ago. Um, I'm concerned about Nevada if I'm a Democrat. I'm, I'm concerned about those numbers that I've, I, I already underperformed in that state four years ago. And we forget that that was a Republican state for a long time. Sure. Uh, that that I, I underperformed in winning that state four years ago when I had a massive early voting lead. And now I don't. You know, I, 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 in fact, if I'm a Democrat, I might feel better about North Carolina than I do Nevada this morning because I was kind of counting on Nevada and North Carolina could be a pickup. Now, I know North Carolina is one of the states you were playing in, mm-hmm. right? So the Democrats have a very, very small early voting lead in that state. But we're, we're, we, we are going to blow the doors off the, turn, the turnout there. And 
as somebody who wants Trump to win, I know that state well. I studied it extensively for the Cruz campaign because it was one of the areas that we targeted to go after Trump because he was he was weak in the suburbs and the primary as well. Sure. And Cruz was stronger. That is a heavily suburban state. Um, it, 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 it's far more suburban than any of the Rust Belt states are at this point. And so is, what do you see on it, the ground there? Well, it, North Carolina is an interesting state. One is a heavy suburban state. We know that's where Trump's having problems with suburban women. Two is that state is experiencing a lot of growth around the Charlotte area. And in those areas, they're experiencing a lot of growth. That's why not only do I look at North Carolina, I'm looking at Texas as well. I also have some good friends in Texas who are more concerned than I think they should be about Texas. But they're saying, because the numbers you're pointing out, they are really afraid. And everybody's saying Texas... See, I think Donald Trump's already won Texas based yeah. on the early voting numbers yeah. I've seen. But they're saying Texas has changed uh, demographically. And where they're seeing some of the numbers out of the Houston area, where Beto did well, where Hillary did well, and they're seeing the numbers coming out of there, they're saying they're, they're concerned about the Lone Star State, which is their state. One of the things that I think is a a real mystery heading into Tuesday, which we don't also typically say is black voters. And I think they're going to go historic for Trump because they don't vote early. Traditionally as a block, they don't, they've also, you know, been messaged by Democrat media that it's not safe to stay in to leave your home for the last six months. Um, black turnout is, is famously effective on game day. We saw Barack Obama over outperform the real clear politics polling average by almost four points in 2012 because of what they did on game day with black voters in Cuyahoga, Hamilton County, Ohio, and places like that around the country. So do they have, because I, I wonder if the Democrats have been almost too successful in messaging doom and gloom to their own base that, because I've heard from people that are canvassing around the country. Hey, we're not, we're not seeing the masses of Democratic canvassers in the same suburban neighborhoods we're in. They're like not walking, knocking on doors. They're not coming out of the home. Well, there's a reason because, why yeah, that is. Because it's, they, because it's, the, it's yeah. the end of the flipping world, yeah. right? So I will be fascinated because all we've heard from about about trying to, to, to curry favor with black voters down the stretch is prominent people in the hip hop community coming out for Trump. I have no, I didn't know what a Lil Wayne was. Okay, I, I still don't. Just heard the name for the first time last week. Ice Cube, I know. I remember that from when I was a kid. But I don't know what a Lil Pump is. You know, frankly, you know, we we if you if you nicknamed a kid Lil Pump in the locker when I was growing up, that was probably not a good sign, brother, if you know what I'm saying. Okay? So, um, I, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what kind of juice they carry. I don't even know if they're white. I don't know. Okay? But I'm fascinated to see on game day what kind of turnout they get with black voters given what's not showing up in the early voting here. Well, I think you're right. And I think a guy that we had at our leadership summit, uh, Jack Brewer, uh, he has been pushing the the black vote to Trump by saying, you know, listen, they always sell you more programs, more things to keep you underneath their thumb, make you dependent on them. This guy's actually done stuff for, for the black people of America. And so I think the black vote's going to be very interesting to watch. And the other reason, Steve, we have a hard time putting a pulse on this is that the Democrats are not running a typical ground game. And that's why I think no matter where you go, you're going to see Trump signs just dominate Democrats because they're not getting out of the House. They're not doing they're not doing the canvas. They're not doing all that stuff. But what Trump has, which you and I learned with the Huckabee campaign, is very effective. He's got a lot of just stuff that wasn't planned. It's just grassroots. It's just coming up mm -hmm. and they're organizing things. And that usually is a really, really good sign. All right. Give me a final prediction 
Right now, I think Trump can get to 270 without Pennsylvania. And I don't think the Republicans do any worse than 50-50 in the Senate. That th Those are the predictions I just made. What do you think? I think you're right on the Senate. I don't think they're going to do worse than 50-50, but I think our U.S. Senate race here between uh, Joni Ernst and Teresa Greenfield is going to go a long ways in determining who controls the U.S. Senate. Uh, with Trump and Biden, I think Trump definitely wins Iowa. I still think it's an uphill battle for him to win nationally. I'm not saying he can't. I still think it's an uphill battle. That turnout, typically, if we would have said this six months ago, higher turnout. Who's the benefit, Biden or Trump? I would have said Biden. And matter of fact, so when I see these record turnouts, I'm a little bit concerned on the record turnout of, of for, for President Trump. And but, I hope it's his people. But shouldn't we be seeing, a, a, there's a correlation there. Shouldn't you be seeing a corresponding stronger amount of early voting edges for Democrats in these states with a higher turnout? Yeah, I th yes. That should be a correlated yep. parlay, yep. right? And, and you're not seeing it. And, and that's, not, what you're not dad, seeing it. that's what your dad is showing. To me, I showing. think, I believe Trump is going to win unless he hemorrhages independent voters based on what the early voting is showing me. And so then he loses them by yeah. four or five or more, yeah. then I think he probably can't overcome that. Yeah. So the independents would have to break hard against him. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. Based that, That's if the early voting numbers we're being given are accurate. That's what I think. The good news is, it's the first time we get to be like a weather forecaster for a while. Yeah, we have no idea. Uh, but we're going to be here on Wednesday morning letting you know what we saw Tuesday night. All right, good stuff, my friend. Good to see you, as good always. You. Hey, you know, we we do a lot of cool things for our pets. We take them for walks. Some of you take them for runs. I think that's nuts. Um, you guys, I've seen people actually put them on their bikes and do it that way. Uh, we take them to groomers. We pet them. We love on them. You know what they also really need from us, though? Uh, good nutrition, because chances are it's missing from that store-bought food that's probably been stripped of all the good stuff, so it wouldn't last on the shelf for a long time. Same thing they do with the human food we eat nowadays as well. That's why the supplement section is one of the biggest sections in every grocery store these days. Your dog could use one, too. That's where Rough Greens comes in. It's loaded with the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, uh, omega oils, antioxidants, pre- and probiotics that's probably missing from your pet's store-bought food. It's a powder. You sprinkle it in with your pet's food, mix it in. They're going to love their food even more. This stuff tastes great and it's got all the good stuff you're looking for. Why not try it for a couple of weeks and see if you don't see a difference in your dog with their Jumpstart bag for just $14.95 for two weeks when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. All right, next hour. Our friends, our followers over on Parler, you can follow me on Parler at Steve Dace. Might as well get a Parler account now because if Joe Biden wins, you're all going to be off Twitter and on Parler by this time next year would be my guess. So get an account, get your name now uh, or the name you want while you still can. All right. But our friends over at Parler, you have been invited to do this week's Monday town hall as a pre-election ask me anything. You guys came through in droves, by the way. I, I didn't look at any of the questions, but the numbers of questions we got was pretty high. Todd, you have selected those questions, and we're going to go through those and do an election preview as guided by our followers over on Parlor. when we come back for Hour 2 here in a moment. And we are back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre. And all of you, our Monday Town Hall coming up here in just a moment. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. -E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Over on Parlor, who's about to take center stage on the program, at Steve Dace and our new YouTube channel, 
youtube.com slash Steve Dace. If you're one of our beloved podcast listeners, thank you very much. If you haven't done so yet, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us a five-star review if you like the show and you think it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Thanks to all of you that have done those things for us already. The more of those we get, the more it helps the show to grow. Top of the hour, you know what that means? It's time for me to get a little built bar in me, get that little energy fix, that little influx of protein, and it tastes like a candy bar. It's got the texture of a Three Musketeers, not your typical candy bar. And 18 great flavors, all of them covered in chocolate. I promise you, you have never had a protein bar this good before, and it's easy on the tummy as well, which is a big thing for me. That's not easy for me to find. And did I mention 18 different flavors? They all taste great. They've actually added a couple new flavors that I saw. Caramel apple was one of the new ones they added. But at least 18 flavors, all covered in chocolate, five, less than five grams of sugar in each one, loaded with protein, fiber. Trust me, you've never had a protein bar this good. You can try it right now for the first time. 20% off your box. Get the assortment box. You can try all the different flavors. You can order only order it at Built Bar, B-U-I-L-T, BuiltBar.com. Again, that's BuiltBar.com. Promo code DACE to get 20% off. Promo code DACE to get 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, let's get to it. It's the Monday Town Hall, and we're letting our parlor followers take center stage with a pre-election 2020 Ask Me Anything. We got a slew of questions. Todd, you were the one that has selected them. I've not seen any of these, so I'm going to answer them right off the cuff for the very first time. You're up. All right. We'll begin with Keith Rickard, who says, Why are all the leftist cities boarding up their businesses in anticipation of riots after the election? Thought the polls were showing a dominating Biden win. Well, I think you have answered your own question there, Keith. I think, you know, look at the masses we've seen over the weekend of Trump supporters, by the way. Caravans. I mean, what went on in Arizona? I've never seen anything like that. I mean, I I don't know that there ever has been anything like that in American history. You know, like George Washington couldn't have done that because we couldn't have put that many people out spontaneously (laughs) in the 18th century. I mean, I've just, I've never seen anything like that, what what, what has gone on in Arizona over the weekend and several of these other states. And yet... Did any of those people riot? Was, was there any rioting from these mass showings of Trump support across the country? Did you see any looting going on? No, because that's all we'd be seeing if that was yes, happening. Yes, yeah. yeah. The, the fact that it's not the lead story in, in the solar system. Forget the country. Forget the planet. In this solar system. I'm not using SETI to beam that out into space. Yes. Okay. Like is, in contact. Yes. All right. Is indicative of the fact that none of that went down. And... Nobody's businesses or neighborhoods were threatened. So I, I think, Keith, excellent question. I don't need to answer it for you. You kind of premised it with the right setup to begin with. But behind all this, we know that there's a lot of people in those inner cities, uh, downtown, running these businesses that w- would have no problem voting Democrat, have vote Democrat. Now... Are these people who are boarding this up going to vote for Trump? 
I don't know, but I don't need to know that. But if you are this concerned about protecting your businesses, if you're sh- if you are showing what you know to be true about the actions that are coming, are you voting for Biden? Because that I, I'm fascinated to see. Because if, if you are still doing that, we are here in the America is gone. We are in the midst of cultural insanity. You cannot politically add one plus one to equal two or you simply just don't care anymore to do it to me that's i i put this first because it it simply says to me one of the problems the democrat voters have why they can't possibly have a wave like trump could possibly have because this is baked into the cake there is a prevailing understanding of if you vote democrat you bring insanity upon this world there's a lot of people that are clearly fine with that but enough we're about to find out i i think that's what that that goes back to what i just said to bob last segment these early voting numbers are astonishing and you remember i i've told you guys the story before of what happened here in the 2016 caucuses you know, you heard, and I'm kind of surprised that Bob went there, because he's one of the he he was he's one of the people responsible for the story, primarily responsible for the story I'm about to tell you. Well, I I'm looking at these turnout. Bob says, "Hey, I'm looking at this high turnout, and you know, what have we always been told? Higher the turnout, the better it is for Democrats, right?" Go back to my book, Truth Bombs, and one of the things it points out in there is the only contested primary where we defeated a Republican incumbent during those Tea Party site that Tea Party cycle of 2014. The only one was Dave Bratz. Because Dave Bratz was the only one over Eric Cantor, the House Majority mm-hmm. Leader. Dave Bratz was the only one where the turnout increased. How many times have I said on this show the moment I was broken and, and, and dropped out of partisan politics after spending a decade in it? is when I saw Matt Bevin, who obviously was a good candidate because he went on to get elected governor in another election, when I saw Matt Bevin get not just not just defeated, but like annihilated by Mitch McConnell in a primary that drew all kinds of media interest, but yet when you looked at the turnout in that 2014 Senate campaign primary in Kentucky, both parties had an open, had a, had a contested primary that year. The turnout in the, on the Democratic side was higher than the McConnell-Bevin race. When I saw that, that meant all kinds of people like Appalachia and stuff like that who, who would be our people didn't even know this race was even going on or didn't care or were never mobilized. How many times you've heard me say that over the, over the last few years? That moment like broke me. How is that possible? Well, what we learned in the, in the Dave Bratt race was the higher the turnout, the better it actually is for us, not the other way around. Because, well, Steve, that was crossover voters, Democrats crossing over to vote to embarrass the Republican incumbent. No, it wasn't. The most red precincts in Dave Bratt's district is where the higher turnout was. And turnout increased by 25% over the previous contested primary in that congressional race. We saw this here in Iowa. Record turnout in 2008. Mike Huckabee, dominant win. Record turnout in 2016. 
And everybody said, well, of course we're going to have record turnout. We've got a star, Donald Trump, on the ballot. He's going to bring out more people than ever before. And so if we're going to have these record turnout numbers, there's no way Ted Cruz can win. Ted Cruz actually won the people voting in the caucuses for the first time, 32 to 30, over Donald Trump. See, it's the other way around. I'm telling you. I've seen it. I've been telling you this for years. And the reason why is because the narrative that pushes our people out, almost nobody in the media will do this. Not even, Fox won't do it. Fox is going to give time to Juan Williams and Donna, can I help Hillary Clinton plant questions in the last debate Brazil? Fox never even covered the Bevin McConnell race. I did a search on their website for truth bombs. I couldn't find one article on that entire Senate primary at foxnews.com. There were dozens on MSNBC's website about it. The narrative that reaches the kinds of people that Donald Trump is reaching right now is not promoted by any media entity on a, on a, on a land-based platform. We're not. We're digital. We promote that, that, that narrative here at The Blaze. But we're a digital platform. If you are a network, including Fox, you are not promoting the narrative that that is that Donald Trump needs to find his voters. And what we saw in 2016 is Bob's organization went out there and reached a whole bunch of churchgoers that had never voted in the caucuses before. Well, everybody looked and said, well, look at these high turnout numbers. Of course, Donald Trump won. Nope, he lost. I, I think the opposite is true. The higher the turnout, the more likely the salt of the earth people actually showed up. Because consider the people that vote for the other side, their narrative is promoted everywhere. It's promoted everywhere. They don't have to search for their narrative at all. It's, it's in their faces. Every school board, every op-ed page, every network, and at least half of Fox Hell, I could argue everything on Fox except when Tucker and Laura Ingram are on is probably their narrative to some extent. Then maybe Fox and Friends. So take away three shows on Fox. Tell me where else, if, if, if I am a voter prone to vote Democrat, except for maybe three, four shows at the most on Fox News and not the network as a whole, tell me... Doesn't everybody else feed the narrative that would reach me everywhere I would go? Mm-hmm. Everywhere I would go. Dude, the, dude I, turn, I turn on a, a sporting event nowadays and it's feeding that narrative. I don't have to, you don't have to look for those voters. They get a bat signal dog whistle every day. The people you have to look for are the ones responding to Trump's message. No one's catering to them in on the big platform world. I mean, we're a massive platform here at The Blaze, but we're digital. We're not playing in that sphere. We're not on DirecTV yet. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Neither's the Daily Wire. So we have to, you have to look, our voters, you have to hunt them down. You have to find them. They're not just answering every dog whistle, every bat signal from every school board, every op-ed page, every college, every public school, every corporate boardroom, every sports network. They're not getting, our, our people aren't getting fed.
We have to go and find them. No one, no one on the biggest stages is looking anymore to reach those people and, and promote their narrative. Nobody is. Frankly, Blaze TV is probably the biggest platform in America. And if it's not us, it's the Daily Wire. We're probably one of us and the other one's second are the two ent- largest entities in America promoting that narrative. It ain't Fox News anymore. It ain't the Fox News of Bill O'Reilly writing Culture Warrior titled books anymore. That doesn't exist anymore. So I think the opposite is true. I think the higher turnout is reaching our people. Hey, somebody, somebody sent me a dog whistle. Somebody sent me a bat signal. Nobody else is. I mean, I, I, to me, you're, you've maxed out the, the, the people that are going to reach that message because every platform is leveraging that narrative. But it's one or the other. Either we're seeing a mass influx of salt of the earth people that maybe I'm going to turn out to be wrong, that the silent majority isn't dead. Because the silent majority is not winning three states by 78,000 total votes, dude. That is, I got to pay the rent on the trailer. I'm going to Vegas with my last paycheck and hope I'm running craps, snake eyes on the craps table with my one roll. That's what that is. The silent majority is not winning the three decisive states by 78,000 votes. That is one in a million, kid. Good shot, kid. That was one in a million. That's what that is. What we're seeing here is different. We didn't get any hints of this in the early voting four years ago. We saw that Hillary Clinton wasn't a great candidate. But we didn't see any kinds of these surges four years ago, did we? No. This is different. So it's one of two things. Either Donald Trump has mobilized another layer of the kinds of people that when I was helping and covering pr- these, these primaries around the country, we just didn't have the resources to reach these people and kept losing to these Republican incumbents that are terrible. It's either that or he has become such a lightning rod that he is going to drive out a, vo- a, vo- a force of people that just want him removed because they're tired of the act. I don't see how it's in between. Am I wrong? What do you think? No, I agree. And it's far more likely that it's in Trump's direction. Moving on, we'll go next to Legal MJL, who says, How much more patience will the puppet master have with the American left if Trump wins? <sighs> Who's the puppet master? That's why I love this question, because... It's doing to you what you always do to us. <laughs> I think it depends on who the puppet yeah. master is. Um, well, who does Steve Dace think the puppet master is? I think you know who I think the puppet master is. Um, did you write a book about him? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I already named him. But if Democrats lose, particularly if they end up losing the way that if if they do lose, it looks like they're going to lose. With Trump reaching a whole different layer of voters. That party's going to have a choice to make. And the, the, the Democrats have made a bargain and it may pay off for them. We will see. We don't know. But the bargain they have made is that their old blue collar base is dying in America. 
And a place like North Carolina is the future. Just an America of suburbs. And they've, they, they, they arrogantly believe they own the minority vote. And the numbers have shown they basically have for how long. But they think they can just show up, throw their helmets out there and win that game. And so they made the trade. Their old blue collar vote for the new white college educated suburban voters that they believe have been sufficiently indoctrinated. I'm sorry, um, educated in the universities that they control. That's that, and they think that's where the future demographics are at, that that group's growing and that rural America is dying or old fashioned traditional America is dying or exurbian America is dying. And maybe they will be proven true for eight, 12 years from now. But maybe they won't be. I mean, if, if, if these waves of people we are seeing right now Uh, and, and, and keep in mind, he had massive rallies four years ago. Nothing like what we're seeing right now. And we were blown away by what we saw four years ago. But nothing like what we're seeing right now. I mean, I, I've never seen an American politician do what is going on right now. And a lot of it's organic. At least a chunk of it is. Spontaneous combustion, man. I've never seen anything like it. If that's not just, hey, these are the same people that showed up in 2016, but they're even more passionate now because they're afraid and scared and we went through the year of COVID. If that's, if that's not that, but it's now that he's, he's, busted through the, he's busted through the Overton window now. He has shattered it. He has shown that this, that this mass of Americans exist, have always existed, but nobody actually made their case to them. Nobody Nobody really went to them. Then if that's, if that's what happens tomorrow, then the Democratic Party is going to have to really rethink the strategy of, yeah, we, we want to ban oil and bake the cake bigot. That's our party. They're going to have to rethink the strategy of, are there enough white suburbanites in America? Because here's the other thing too. Most black and Hispanic people don't make enough money to afford themselves that lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? They're not, they're not that, that family in, in my neighborhood I was talking about last week living in a nicer house than me with one of those stupid, we believe in science and all those. They don't make the money to, to they, that's what Ice Cube's trying to tell you right now. What you're hearing from Ice Cube right now, it's right out of his first solo album. I remember buying it back in the day. America's Most Wanted was his very first ever solo album when he left NWA. And that was back when the whole Afrocentric thing and political correctness in the early 90s and wear green and yellow for the colors of Africa and the Africa pendants. Remember those days? And there's a line in one of his songs, which I cannot directly quote to you because there's too many bad words. But what it essentially says is, and for all those folks wearing that stuff who think they're too black, ship them back overseas, meaning back to Africa, and they will be begging to come back. Meaning for as bad as America is, and it's bad. He, you know, police are, you know, racist, blah, 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 blah. But please do not give me this, boy, we should go back to the homeland. Zimbabwe's better crap. Ice Cube's like, dude, come on, man. Serious. Are we, are we for real? Okay. I can still go to a Raiders game in South Central in Zimbabwe. I'm not sure there's water. It's not the same thing, guys. 
his message really isn't any different from what he was saying when we were kids growing up listening to that stuff. And the, the, the Democrats are crafting a message that says to those minority people, you really can't afford for us to be in charge. So how much of this is just based off of racial identity? That's why they're doubling down on everything's racist. I mean, you can't, you can't win a black single mom on, hey, what do you think about paying $5 for a gallon of gas? You can't win her on that. So you have to win her on Donald Trump's Hitler. And so was George W. Bush. And so was Sarah Palin. You have to win her on that. Can you keep doing that? I mean, what happens when the Republicans have a candidate who, even though I've not agreed with every way he's done it, I'm not an empty the prisons guy at all. I think I agree there's too many drug felons in prison. I agree with that. There's too many drug addicts in our prisons. I agree. But I'm not, you know, for, hey, let's just empty the prisons to show our compassion. I happen to think the crime bill of 1994 was the last really good bipartisan legislation in America. And we're and Joe Biden's getting killed for it. <laughs> OK, but that notwithstanding, although there would be a certain schadenfreude if Republicans <laughs> succeeded with the Democrats and hanging them with their own message on something like that. Not that I agree with that message, but I, I wouldn't say I would not enjoy it nevertheless. But. This is the first time a national candidate in my lifetime in the Republican Party has made. And, and, and when I say that, I don't mean Ronald Reagan bringing Colin Powell in or Thomas Sowell in. Um, those are great Americans. And I don't agree with where Colin Powell has evolved politically, but we would not doubt him as a great American. Right. That's not what I mean. Or who's the uh, Shelby Steele? You know, you're one in a million hard black intellectual conservative like soul is and shelby Steele is this is different i mean this would be this would be like george hw bush posting posing with chuck d of public enemy back in the day that's what's going on right now this is like totally different this would be like george w bush with kanye west in 2005 not the that the, the pre-jesus kanye not the one we're seeing right now this we've not seen anything like this before an earnest attempt to meet minority voters where they are. As opposed to, you have to come to a certain degree to us first. And then and then we'll listen. This is different. We're going to meet you where you're at, actually. I, I, don't, I don't know what will happen with it. it I, it'll be fascinating to watch tomorrow. Because at the very least, I think it'll move a point or two. At least it'll move a point or two. And at least it's, it's shown Democrats going forward. You cannot just show up and expect to get Hugo Chavez-like numbers with these, with these groups anymore. Because you're running on a campaign they can't afford. It would seem kind of fruitless and pointless to escape Honduras and come to America illegally with my family. And then sign up with the political party that, hey, you can stay here. We're just going to take all your manufacturing and construction jobs away. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're just going to, we're, we're just going to, all the blue collar jobs that you can do, that you have the skill set to come here and do, um, we're just, other than picking our, you know, our, our vineyards and mowing our lawns, all the other jobs are gone. And the meatpacking plants are going to automation. You know what I'm saying? then what the hell did I escape Honduras for? I, I mean, that seems like a somewhat counterproductive message, right? It does. And 
I think Trump's calling that bluff. How successful it's going to be in this cycle, I don't know. But I think it has, if, if, there, if there's a new generation of Republicans willing to pick up that mantle, I think it has potential moving forward. Next question. Moving on to Marlon Lob. Is it possible BLM Antifa will attempt to suppress red areas by intimidating people at polling places on election day? If that happens, then then you don't deserve your freedom and, and you don't deserve your you don't deserve America anymore. That's my answer. If if, if first of all, Antifa is a bunch of white skinny dweebs all about 80 pounds. OK, you know, that kid, the, el- the, the albino kid in high school who, because he knew the lyrics, the, the lyrics to uh, Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted, thought he was the blackest kid in school. That's what Antifa is. All right. The kid you Antifa is the kid you gave swirlies to and mocked. He's the kid that uh, the offspring was talking about. Uh, what was that? What's that song uh, I'm thinking of? Uh, to, uh, Pretty Fly for a White Guy or two. That's that's what Antifa is. That guy. If you lose your country to those people because you're intimidated by them and you're the ones that own all the guns, I can't help you. And you you deserve what's coming to you. And so that's my, I know that's a snotty answer, but it's nevertheless true. I mean, you let those people just roll into your, into your hood when you own all the guns and say, yeah, you can intimidate us into not showing up. Then that's a, that's a you problem. That's not an Antifa problem. That is a you problem, a you problem. That's on you. Up next, we've got uh, John Kasich's dad, mailman, who says it's easy to see the bad in this whole process we've been going through. My question is, where have you seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work, despite or in the face of all of the bad? That is an interesting question, because how would you have answered that question in the spring of 1861? What would you have said like after Bull Run? Hey, where's, where's the Holy Spirit at work here? Because I'm guessing those situations, it would have been hard. And so you would have had to have looked below the fold at a, at a, at a more granular micro level. Here's where I can see evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in this cycle. There's far more and better dialogue happening about and this is true of people that are coming on opposite sides of this but I think there's far better and more productive dialogue happening within church communities about how to vote whether to vote who is it okay to vote for than I can ever remember and I think the I think the conversation has 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 become more sophisticated, more layered, more nuanced than the typical. Well, you know, if you don't vote for the GOP, then you, you you just voted for Democrat. So I used to come back to that when I didn't want to vote for the GOP candidate. So you want me to vote for the GOP twice? Because if not voting GOP is a vote for the Democrat, then isn't a vote for the Democrat also a vote for the GOP? Because I didn't. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we haven't seen a lot of that kind of one-dimensional dumbness. Um. I think there's been, and when you see Wayne Grudem and John Piper arguing with each other publicly, I mean, that's, you're at the 1% of American theological circles. I, I think, I think there's been 
and it helps too when the candidate has a good record. Trump has aided that because he has a better record. I thought what Bethany Mandel or Bethany Shondark wrote today, who was a hardcore never Trumper four years ago, like I was for a lot of the same reasons, even though I'm Christian and she's Jewish. But we had a lot of the same concerns broader about his integrity level and what he, the way that he messaged and the way that he communicated. And I think you can see that the Holy Spirit, I think, has shown you who made the call against Trump for, the, for sincere reasons and who did it because they were grifters. And I think you're seeing that now. There's still some really principled people that are friends of mine that are still not going to vote for him. And I respect that. And I'm not here to argue with them. I respect where they're coming from. But then you can kind of see who the, some of the grifters are. Like, you know, what's that, the Lincoln group or that people, those people? Lincoln like, Project. Yeah. I think th- that's been very revealing, I think. Who, even if they don't agree with you, who's serious and who's a sellout? We have a new partner here with us on the Steve Day Show, My Patriot Supply. And you know, when you look at the world today, you see a lot of confusion and uncertainty. Maybe you don't really know what's coming next. And one big concern I know a lot of you have is that you may not be prepared uh, with emergency food, water, other essentials. If you're not, you may be asking for trouble. At a moment's notice, a country could be plunged into chaos. We saw that this year. We saw a proto version of that this year with runs on toilet paper. I still can't get my beloved Costco cleaning wipes. They're still not in, (laughs) okay? Um, I mean, people were hoarding hand sanitizer and selling it on Amazon. So that's why we strongly recommend here at The Blaze, My Patriot Supply, the only source that you can use and trust for emergency food preparedness. And they've got a plan, and you can too. Right now, save $100 off a full four-week supply. 100 bucks off a full four-week supply of nutritious meal that supply the recommended 2,000 calories a day to save your life when maybe, who knows, what all disappears from the grocery stores. Saving $100, that's impossible to pass up, especially right now. So go to preparewithdace.com. I like that name. Prepare with Dace, my last name, D-E-A-C-E. Preparewithdace.com and get ready right now with my Patriot Supply at preparewithdace.com. Before we get back to the Ask Me Anything, I'm texting with a good buddy of mine. Again, a name you guys would all know. Doesn't work here, though. But a name you guys would all know in conservative media. And we were going back and forth during the break on the cheating angle. And you and I were running some numbers that I was sharing with him. I am, and I say this is the person that has been concerned about the cheating aspect all along, even in Pennsylvania, most of all. But... I want to let me make sure I quantify this so we also don't lose our damn minds at the same time. Folks, it's hard to move even a one point win in a state like Pennsylvania, even one point. Let me do, do some math. Say Donald Trump, say six million people, that's about what voted in Pennsylvania last time in, in 2016. Say six million people voted again in 2020, just for a nice round number. Let's say Donald Trump wins the state 48 to 47 by one point. Out of those 6 million votes, Trump's lead would be, depending on what third party candidates and other people got, somewhere between 40 and 60,000 would be my guess, would be his lead over Joe Biden. That's a lot of votes to flip, folks. A lot. Remember in Florida, 
It was over 537 votes. Now we're talking 40 to 60,000 votes flipping or overcoming. Hey, that's a lot of parked cars for what's-his-face that used to be on SNL. You know what I'm talking about? Stuart Smalley, that Al Franken. That's how he won in Minnesota, his Senate seat. Hey, here's all these ballots we didn't have. That, that's, that's a lot of vans down by the river that you found after the election. To make up forty to 60,000 votes is a lot. That, that's a one-point win. So when I say out, he's got a, that you do need some margin, I agree he's going to need some margin in a couple of these states, particularly those Rust Belt ones with Democratic governors. I'm looking at you, Pennsylvania, Michigan. I think he's going to need some margin in those states. But when I say margin, I don't mean like four or five points. I mean he can't win three states by 78,000 votes again. That's what I mean. But, but flipping forty to 60,000 votes in a state with all those eyeballs on you, yeah, that's the that point. ain't easy to do, even for the Democrat Party mafia in total control of the media and everything else. All right. So when I say he needs margin, I don't mean Trump's got to win Pennsylvania by like five points to be declared the winner. I mean, I mean he can't win three states by seventy-eight thousand votes. But, but one point in a state with that kind of turnout and population—that's a lot of votes to suddenly conjure and discover. That's not easy to do especially when it goes against your own narrative when you look at your early voting numbers are behind the pace. Right? It would be one thing if it would be one thing if they were blowing it out in early voting and then said, well, that's why we had to extend these deadlines and we found all these votes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they're not dominating early voting. They're not. And now you're going to come back a day or two later and say, dude, we found this like white Econoline van. You know, it was like it was like finding the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, some shepherd kid running around in the hills of the Dead Sea, and he opens up this bottle, and there's the Book of Isaiah from the from the first century with the ascends. And we're like, wow, who knew? And we just we found this like one cave, and here's seventy five thousand votes, and they all voted one way. They all voted one. That's you can't do that. That 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 doesn't happen. So I, there there is a cheating factor that Donald Trump needs to be. Uh, needs a working margin for, but it's not like multiple points. Flipping one point in a state of the magnitudes of the states we're talking about, it's just damn near impossible to do. I wanted to clarify that. All right, back to the Ask Me Anything. All right, we'll go next to So Much Ken, who says, I believe you said before that a campaign cannot rise above its candidate. In the event that Biden wins, would you consider his victory to be an exception to the rule? No. Because Joe Biden is not the candidate. I'm not Donald Trump is. That's the candidate. That's always why Donald Trump needed a high about needed needed the country back and open. Because he can't win a personality based effort. Never forget when elections are about personalities, Democrats win. When they're about issues, Republicans win. What have we been talking about since the last debate? Whether or not it's safe to reopen the country. Um, the economic rebound in the third quarter. The new job numbers. Even if, even if, even like on the reopening the country, even if it's Anthony Fauci doing a media tour crushing Donald Trump. If I'm Donald Trump, I would rather debate Anthony Fauci on is it safe to open the country? Then debate anybody on how bad is coronavirus and did I do a good job taking it seriously in January, February, and March. 
Because even if I'm right, I can't win that argument because it's framing the electorate in a way that goes against my narrative. I will, I'll debate Anthony Fauci on whether it's safe to reopen the country all day long because I can win that argument. We're, at least we're having my argument. He may be on the other side of it. He may even make points that are better than the points I make at a given time. But I've used this analogy before. It's when on the Cruz campaign, we were debating whether to abandon the immigration issue and hit Marco Rubio on his past support of cap and trade because we got an oppo dump from Jeb Bush. And I remember being on that call and I'm like, hell no, we don't. We win the we win the immigration argument every time. Even if Marco Rubio gives a better answer in a debate than Ted Cruz, he can't win. That's not his issue. It's ours. We want to have that issue every day, all day. We'll we'll do, dude. We'll go one on one. Marco Rubio, Lincoln Douglas, nine hours. Only topic: immigration. We want Marco Rubio up there talking about immigration, no matter how cute those dimples are, how great his answer is. Because when anybody sees Marco Rubio in immigration, they just think gang of eight. Period. We win the argument every time. We want that debate. If I'm Trump, I'll debate everybody on is it safe to reopen? I probably can't win the debate. Did I take the virus seriously enough? Because what is that? What does that mean? Shutting the country down wasn't good enough for you. Shutting travel down wasn't good enough for you. We didn't, you see what I'm saying? I'm in, I'm in a realm where it's totally subjective going the other way. They control that narrative. In the reopening debate, it's subjective going my way. I can win that debate. And that's... That's where this trend line has been. This was always going to be a referendum on Donald Trump. Joe Biden is a necromanced candidate. He's a Trojan horse. They wheeled through the city gate, hoping that you would say, you're right, we're tired of the drama, let him in. He seems like he's a nice guy. He's Uncle Joe. And then once you let him in, the back gate of the horse opens up and the communists come out. And now the enemy's in the gate. That's the plan. His name is not Donald Trump. That's why he has survived all of the dementia and everything else. Because he's not a real candidate. He's a construct. It's Trump versus not Donald Trump. Trump versus himself. That's why we were so nervous after this last debate. Hey, he won that debate. Can he stay on this message? We were talking before the show. Is this the longest that we could ever remember Donald Trump staying on a single message? And not just squirrel. You know what I'm saying? Just flying off at the handle about something nobody other than his ego cares about. And he did. I think you're seeing the result. Look at the momentum has shifted. If Donald Trump does not win tomorrow, it's going to be for one of it's going to be for one of these two reasons, if not both. He surrendered his presidency to Anthony Fauci and Debbie Burks for way too long and couldn't recover. Or because he didn't do it the first debate, what he did at the at the final one. And then just didn't give himself enough time for the momentum that it, the momentum swing he's on now. Like if the election was November 10th, he'd win. But it's not November 10th. And so there wasn't quite enough time in the momentum swing. It's a little bit like a basketball game. You're down by 20 points at the half. You won the second half by 17 points, but you still lost the game. Where if the, if the game was five minutes later, or you, you, might, you might have won, but you didn't. See what I'm, see what I'm saying? Yeah. If he loses on Tuesday, it's going to be for those two reasons. Or... The whole thing came down to Pennsylvania and they just cheated their ass off. I guess that's the third reason. Next, we'll go to Katie 777, who says, can the medical industrial complex be stopped? Yes, but it has to be stopped by the way that what you've seen Trump do with Scott Atlas for the last two months now. And should have started four months ago. That goes to what I was just talking about. Because here's the thing with the, with the medical industrial complex. There's actually a lot of people in the medical field who agree with us. I mean, this piece that is in that was in USA Today over the weekend is written by people at Oxford, 
Harvard, and Stanford. And no, not another guy at Stanford, not Scott Atlas. These are not left-wing, or, or I'm sorry, right-wing academic institutions, guys. They're not teaching young earth creationism. Ken Ham is not a guest speaker at Oxford, guys. Know what I'm saying, G? Like, uh, who's our buddy over at Project uh, Veritas? I always forget his name. James O'Keefe. Yeah, James O'Keefe is not giving a, a is not a guest at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, guys. Not happening. See, there's a lot of people in the medical field. I mean, Harvey Risch, who blew the whistle on what was going on with hydroxychloroquine, he's at Yale. There's actually a lot of people in the medical field who do just want to follow what they think is the established science. But it was always going to be about Trump letting the White House be the platform by which these people could break through this noise. And he waited too long. I mean, look at the damage Scott Atlas has done to their narrative just in a couple of months. Where would their narrative be if, if he would have been put on the job in June instead of August? You know what I'm saying? 30 or 60 more days, where would their narrative be? So, yeah, in the end, the truth is its own reward. The truth wins in the end. It's just a matter of whether it's given a platform or not. But the truth wins every time it has been given one. Next, we'll go to Debbie Dean, who says, I honestly think Trump will win, but I'm worried about the threats the other side have put out there if he does win. Is there anything that the president can do to prevent the chaos from them, or will he have to wait until governors ask for help? What I think the president should do, and I would say this if I worked in his White House, is if you win on Tuesday, or even if you don't, you're still president for two more months. But especially if you win, because then you're president for four more years, you are now going to do what Bush did in Fallujah after the 2004 election. You're going to crush these people and make an example out of them. The first time, the first, the first tire they kick and fire they light, send in the Marines with guns and put them down and let the American people see you do it. Thank them that they vested that power in you. And this is how you're repaying that trust by using the power they gave you to end this insurgency of domestic terrorism in America. Mercilessly. Make an example. You don't face the electorate ever again. You don't care what tomorrow's approval rating is. You don't care. And you frankly shouldn't have cared last year, sir. But I can see why you did with an election going on. I didn't agree, but I can see why. But now you don't have one. And the people gave that power to you. Wield it. Maximum prejudice. Maximum. Because they know they can't trust the governor of Minnesota and Michigan and uh, Pennsylvania. That's why they voted for you in those states. They know. So, I mean, it's, it's, like, El, it's like Elrond handing the sword to Aragorn. Become the king you were destined to be. Here it is. Wield it. That would be my message. Let's get one more in here before we get to our last couple of questions. You know, a lot of the principles we've been talking about today are shared in a new book from an unlikely source. Um, 
It's called Not Free America from Mike Donovan, who began over on the other side of the aisle, running a pro bono civil rights law firm. He's got a lot of different views on a lot of different issues than we have on this show, but he is very concerned about the meta narrative we're concerned about, the erosion of our constitution, the loss of our bill of rights and what that means for us as a people. Think of him as kind of a, a Dave Rubin uh, type, if you will. And he's written a lot about that in his new book, notfreeamerica.com, or Not Free America is the name of the site, or the, the book. Notfreeamerica.com is the website where you can go and buy the book and more information on it. You can take their Liberty Pledge while you're there as well. Notfreeamerica.com, that's the website for the book. Not Free America at notfreeamerica.com. All right, let's try to get one or two more in. You're going to fire me for this one. Sean M. says, what does it mean for the church if Republicans lose this election? No, I think You've it's... you got a, one minute. I think, it's a, I, I think you should be prepared to have to lawyer up to defend your status to preach the gospel freely more than in any other, any other time previously in American history. That's what it means. Uh, you want one more rapid fire? Yep. Uh, Jeffrey CSD says, if Trump wins, will he be able to select cabinet members who can change Washington or will we be just delaying the collapse of America? That is on Trump. Now, it would be the, now I will tell you, historically, it's been since Calvin Coolidge that the a Republican president, Reagan included, had a good second term. They, they, they notoriously have poor second terms. It would be the most Trump thing ever, though, to go totally the other way. Okay, and like have the second term that is like our nocturnal emission, like this is like the greatest, the greatest. That would be the most Trump thing to do the opposite of what you expect. Can he really do worse at a cabinet level than he did the first four years? Yeah, but but I want to see masses of pink slips and he's been he's been more than hinting at it. Okay, after this election. So but that ultimately rests in his hands. But I think you're asking the question that will determine the direction of the country in his second term. You bet. I think that's a great question. Gentlemen, we're done here. We're going to stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. Don't forget to take advantage of that biggest discount ever using the promo code Steve at blazetv.com. I'll be in Dallas the next two days, but you guys will be right here anchoring the show with me. Hey, we love all of you. Thanks for taking part in today's program. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.